Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Tim Stafford here with Mike Geary. Welcome to the show. We're so glad that you are tuning in and allowing us access uh, into part of your day. We have one word for you today, and that word is gombas. Yep. And so he, uh, we have a great conversation with him about unity in the church and disunity in the church. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. But um, I want to say a couple of thank yous. First, I want to say thank you to Catherine and Nathan and Amy for coming on the Patreon team. Man, so grateful for people like you who see value in what we're doing. We are crowdfunded 501c3 nonprofit, and we are, uh, is it 501c3? Yeah, 501c3 yeah. nonprofit. And, um, and so- Sounds like a Star Wars robot. 501c3PO? Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so we're super grateful. So thank you for that. You can go to patreon.com and type in Voxology Podcast. Also, we need your emails. If you want to be surveyed, go but do to... Do it through the website. Yeah, go through the website. Voxology email Podcast. Us and say, I'd like to be on it. Go register. <laughs> go to podcast.com and at the, at the bottom is a place you can throw us your email. No spam here. We're just going to um, hit you with a survey because we're meeting in January slash February to make some uh, long-term plans, more longer-term plans about the podcast. And we'd love to test some of our assumptions about who's listening, and that would be a great gift to us. So thank you for that. We've got loads of conversation with Gambus, so we'll get right to it. Until next time, friends, thanks. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us the star of the Wanderer podcast. <laughs> we have Dueling Tims uh, here today. I'm Dr. here too. Timothy Gombas. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, your Joy intros were so great. I love I loved those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all three episodes of the Wanderer. Um, and, and who knows? There could be a, uh, there could be other versions in the future. We're totally open to the uh, spirits leading in regards to the intersection of music and theology. Mr. Gombas, how are you doing this morning? Hello, great to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys. I'm great. And it's not this morning. Did you look at your clock right there? Yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah. it's just <laughs> afternoon where you are. It's morning yeah. where we are. Yeah, it's, it's, it's late in the day. It's late in the day. I was up early. <laughs> what time did you get up this morning? Around 2.30. Okay, perfect. Got to bed early. <laughs> how early? It's early, though. How, how early? Wow. Yeah. Uh, about 10 o'clock or so oh that's not that oh much. good four yeah. and a half solid four and a half last night yeah excellent and then and then what time did you leave for the walk uh about 10 to 6 so what yeah, did you little, do for almost a little four bit later hours, three hours uh i'm reading i'm reading a book that i've been wanting to get to for a long time uh i just finished a book tried to get into another and it was boring me to death so i got into this one uh called um uh taking america back for god yeah, uh, the book about Christian nationalism. Yeah, Samuel. Yeah, just really interesting. White. Yeah, Whitehead. Yeah, some, uh, Andrew Whitehead, Whitehead and Samuel Perry. Something Perry. Yes. Yeah. So I started on that for an hour or two, and then, yeah, got out, started it, walking. If you are so so, Tim has a podcast called uh, Faith Improvised, and if you've been following along lately, you know that Tim has been single handedly 
waging war against quipping culture um and and, right. and, and quipping um are, are just the you know you're passing somebody on your walk somebody says something you have to respond with a quip and I tim has tim has you know prophetically stood against this um can we just get an update today were they out were the other no, they were weren't they, they weren't out no they did not see them today it was slight it was there's a chance of rain and i think that that separates you know people who are serious and people who just are you know posers casual walkers oh yeah <laughs> yeah i have to say <clears throat> i have I, I always comment on the weather if anybody wants to say anything yeah you know it's because that's it's serious if you are walking outside throughout the year in west michigan um you need to know how warm or cold it's going to be and you know, need to know how to dress so it's like all right make it make a comment about the weather what's your go-to like what's your go-to comment getting cooler today okay <laughs> a bit colder this morning right that's so it three words yeah all you need to do that's it and there's no that's not an invitation for further discussion this guy there's a couple that walks and this guy um he he says things that invite further discussion which drives me bananas because it's like I'm, i've got a brisk pace and i yeah. I'm, i want to i want to stand pace and I'm, yep. I'm thinking about my own stuff and this one day i'm not kidding this drove me bananas he commented this is so bizarre i just feel slimy even saying it he commented on my posture mm. he said something about you have such good posture as you walk and I was like, dadgummit, listen, it's actually cultivated. I think about that a lot. I think about my posture. And so I wanted to say, all right, well, there's actually something behind this. Right. I'm about to turn 50. I want to take care of myself. And so like when I walk, I put my shoulders back. And so there's my, there's my thoughts. They're running in that direction. And I want to stop them and say, well, there's, you know, I want to explain about posture and all this kind of stuff. And he's a bit bent over. So I'm like, anyway, I don't like it when there's a comment <laughs> that invites further reflection or um, discussion because it's like, no. So do you know what I'm saying? I, I want to think Absolutely. about what I'm thinking about. I don't want to think about what I don't want to think about trying to explain to him. Well, there's a lot, go, there's a lot behind that. And when I walk, I do think about my posture actually. What now, now why isn't just thank you an option there in that social setting? Just thank you. And you just keep going. I hadn't thought of that. Okay. I don't All right. Know. How much brain space then, did wanted, that interaction take up? Uh, post his comment. enough to generate resentment <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah i should have just said thank you yeah you know yeah i guess i i, I always feel like i want to explain mm. you know and and <clears throat> i don't know and I, I should just say yeah okay yeah or appreciate yours is that average. appreciate yeah, that yours, yours needs work yeah i could have said that <laughs> yeah yeah that would shut down the quipping for future, yeah, totally. Future oh my quips. word! Yeah, there. Yeah, there's a hand. There's two. There's two groups of walkers that that don't get it. Okay, you know. And when I pass them by, I just think I I try to speed up my pace and to indicate with my body, don't bother me. It's so, like a, you could do a whole podcast episode on enneagram numbers in exercise. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So th this this is how fours do their thing. Do not bother me. So it's what enough, are the two? It's enough the two stress groups? to be seen. I don't want to be seen, so it's like I just leave me alone. I don't know. I'm sure there are some types that want to stop and have a chat. Yeah, you know, sevens. Are you okay with a nod? Like I nod. I'm a nodder. 
Like yeah. I see you and I'm not going to pretend you're not there. Yeah. No, I, uh, no, I, I don't not. I do the slightly kind of like the Harley Davidson wave, you know, like when, uh, when uh, Harley's past each other yep. on the road, they do that slight you know, finger point kind of casual thing to the side. Yeah. I'm sort of like that, like just slight wave, put my hand up. I see you, you know, have a good yeah. day. Yeah. Casual. It's like, you know, act like you've been there. Yeah. We're on the, we're on the walking path. It's, <laughs> it's okay. First walk. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, whoa, here we are. No, just settle down. Is there, know? is there a, um, I mean, do, does, do you notice that, that he will talk more if you have headphones, um, in or talk less if you have headphones in? I mean, is it, is it worth just wearing headphones even if they're not on? Yeah. About 20, 3% of the time I have my headphones in and I'm, I'm listening to something and he's still, and he will, but still you can't quit. see it from afar. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're smallish and, um, they're just earbuds. So I, I, uh, I feel like I want to point to them and, you know, signal like, don't bother me. I'm listening to something involved. Right. What if you were but, like Bose headphones? Yeah. I mean, that would probably... I've actually thought of that. Yeah. Sarah's got some, and I thought about looking like a, like I work at the airport and, you know, <laughs> That would signal, but it's just for that one couple. And I, yeah, it's and then not take worth them it. off. And then it's take not them worth off. it. But see that um, I've actually had them in before and they've said something and I, I've needed to stop and take them out. And it's like, what are you killing me here? And then I put them yeah. back in yeah. and I've got to you know, rewind 15 seconds to get to where I was. And then when you put them back in, it's like they're the touch sensitive ones that like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I end up just cussing. Yeah. I wear my earbuds in the grocery store with nothing oh, on wow. just to avoid. And now like I'm the only person in the grocery store is still wearing a mask, but I'll do it probably forever now. Yeah. Cause I can just coast through the aisles and no one quite knows who I am and the earbuds, they won't ask me any questions and I just shut. That's the best. <laughs> and I leave. That is the best. Yeah. A grocery store <laughs> casual conversation is, is probably more stressful because mm. there, then it's like, you've got to stop and talk. Like, what do you talk about? And then what yes. if you go down the same aisles together? What if oh, you see each other multiple nothing times? There's nothing more stressful. It's like, yes, Susan, we're both here at the grocery store. I'll probably, I'll probably see you Sunday. There's nothing to talk about. What, what do you need? What can I do for you? You know. Well, there you are again. Noodles, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, just the felt need to say something. I, there's nothing that drives me more bananas. I just would. I'd rather make it as awkward as can be. So. That it's just like, yeah, next time Susan runs into me, she's just not going to attempt anything. You know, a lot of the times I would, I would respond to people on hikes with um, like lines from random movies or random lyrics. Oh, that's whatever good. they said to me, I just say the one line and keep walking. Oh, yeah. The dude abides. Yeah. yeah. Confused. They have no idea. There's no entertainment for them, but I get a kick out of it. Yeah. Born and raised in South Detroit. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Take me down to Paradise City. <laughs> That's it. And do it with like a real, like really wide eyes so that they just think yeah, you're- Yeah, and you say oh, it kind yeah. of confidently like, oh yeah, you know, can't yeah. rain all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well. I try to signal that I'm just slightly off so that they, you know, just, they don't want to, you know. Yeah. Just speak like Yoda and then they're like, all right, cool. See ya. Yeah. 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 It's not like I don't like people. It's just like, you know, not here. I'm here to get eggs. Nah, I think you don't like people. <laughs> I mean, what's one scenario where people are liked? Oh, I, the, the problem is it's it's an aversion to small talk. So it's like... Uh, that's exactly what it it's is. It's like, okay, okay, Susan, we're here in the grocery store. Yep. Do you, do you want to talk? All right, 
then this is going to be 15 minutes. Do you know what I mean? And it's not going to be small talk. What do you need to grab a drink? It's like, okay, Susan, yes. How am I doing? I'm in crisis right now. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, let me give you the contours of that. And and here's why this means a lot to me because of my childhood. So it's like, wow, wow. (laughs) I mean, it's like there's only one level. It's not, there's not like. Okay. So that's the posture conversation. You just can't say thank you. You've got to actually go in to. We're going deep. I do actually think about this. Yeah. Do you want to know? I've thought about this long and hard and my walking posture. There's a lot behind that. So it's, yeah, that's the thing. Okay. It's not like I don't okay. want to talk to him. It's like, I'm, I'm here to walk just a wave. If you want to talk or well, then this is going to be a while. That's totally <laughs> like, I'll go into a coffee shop and then you have the obligatory, like, Hey, how's your day going? And I either have to answer that question, honestly. Oh yeah. That's the only, and for me, that's the most, um, normal way to respond to it. Yeah. But if I try to make a joke or something or do like a, you know, a base level response based on a base level question, then it gets really awkward because oh, I'll totally. just try to be funny or say something and they're just like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and then, then, then you're left with that feeling like, oh, exactly. Such an idiot. <laughs> I, like, yeah. See, I, I, think, well. I think the previous generation was better trained at this because oh, my, totally. my, my parents have, my mom in particular has certain <clears throat> sort of quips that work in any situation. So yep. for instance, um, yeah, yeah. I had this horrible thing happen today and, and she'll say, well, you know, sometimes you get the elevator and sometimes you get the shaft Yeah, and, and it, and it, and it just, <laughs> sometimes you done, eat you know, um, or, or something, you know, some, she's got to do something scary and she'll say, yeah, it scares me and I'm fearless. And then, and then just, it's done. Yeah. It's that's, that's you know? what How I don't have. I Finer don't have than that. frog hair. Okay. Yeah. Wait, what it, was that one? Yeah. Finer than frog hair. That's no awesome. idea. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I need a cat. I need a catalog of those. Yes, yes. I don't. I don't have them because I'm like Tim. It's like, how are you doing today? And I'm like, well, below average. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, t- I try to. <laughs> I take an assessment of how I'm doing and then I answer. Yeah. It's not like, oh, great. How are you? It's like, nah, I'm fair. Oh, how are you? Do you or, really want to know? No. Yeah. Why'd you ask me? That's so yeah. great. That's I wanna, so. I want to. I want to destroy something beautiful right now. Uh, how are you? <laughs> Is there a puppy I can kick somewhere? Is there anything? Yeah, yeah. I'm filled with rage. How are you? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that oh, was that's uh, genius. Yeah, dear listener, that was a deep dive you never knew you wanted or needed into the uh, to the depths of theology of walking. So walking and talking. But Tim, well, we wanted to talk with Tim. There was an article that came out. Um, let's see at the. Uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago uh, by Peter, how would you pronounce his name? Wayner. Wayner. I thank think. you. It yeah, can, that's my yep, best guess. Just making sure. Uh, the even, This was in the Atlantic. The evangelical church is breaking apart. Christians must reclaim Jesus from his church. And, um, and it's, it's really about um, how it is that churches are, large churches, small churches are just minimally being disrupted, maximally splitting and tearing themselves apart over the kind of the cultural situation we find ourselves in politically, um, racially, um, medically, uh, all all those sorts of things. And I know as you've been going through Romans in your podcast, you're dealing with a church situation 
where there are people in some house churches criticizing other Christians as part of who are part of other house churches. And, um, and so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the limits of unity uh, in Paul's thinking. Uh, Paul obviously makes a big deal, and, and, I, and I hear, you know, um, the, some, some Christians saying in these contexts, listen, any talk about politics or anything is just being divisive. Um, we've got to preserve unity. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to kind of talk about, how, what, for, for Paul, what, what is unity? Why does it matter? And then what are the, what are the boundaries of it, if any, as we were seeing you know, this, this fragmentation happen in, in the church as we see it happening in culture? Yeah, that's a great, I think those are good questions. What do you mean, what are the boundaries of it or the well, limits of it? Well, um, is, there, is there a point at which unity talk isn't the greatest value? And, um, and you, you begin to, you know, so, so for instance, if you're, you're a pastor, they, one of the things the article references is that loads of pastors are quitting because of the, the, the work environment is so hostile. Yeah. So let's say you, you are, you know, encouraging your congregation to wear masks. There are people who are nuts about not wearing masks and they are just continually troublesome and perpetually divisive. Does unity require, Hey, um, we want to be a safe place for mask wearers and non-mask wearers, or do you make a determination and uh, sort of you know go forward with without regard to the unifying consequences? Hmm. Does that does that make yeah. it clear? Yeah, I think it's um, there's a there are so many issues that that lie underneath that question or that issue, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it seems to me that they all go to. Um, a failure to understand really what it means to be Christian. And um, so to be unified um, is really, uh, it's basically Paul's ultimate value. Mm. Um, It's not like it's super important. It's like the thing because uh, I mean, I'm just thinking through the letters. I mean, in Romans, first, second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, um, on and on, all the way through. Like that's the thing that he wants because um, in the ancient world, just like today, there are groups that come together naturally based on some interest in the world, um, and you know it could be completely um, not having to do with anything moral or not. You know, like people come together because they like uh, the same. Um, you know, football team or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. Ohio state tailgate parties or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. And, um, been to a few of those <laughs> and, um, that's, that is, there's nothing good or bad about that. There's nothing inherently sort of Christian about that kind of thing, even though we all love people that, um, we can rally around something, uh, common interest together with. Um, but, when God creates these new communities that are um, what he has done is he's brought together, just like the 12 disciples, he brings groups of people together that on any earthly basis, they can't, it cannot be explained. Why is this group of people together? Because you've got uh, noblemen, um, slaves, laborers, people from different ethnicities that should not be gathered together. But when they Mm -hmm. gather together around Jesus and loyalty to Jesus, that is, 
the display of God's new creation reality. Hmm. Um, that's, I mean, so, so if churches actually within churches, if they rally around um, a common earthly interest and then gather as church, like they're all the same age group or they're all the same ethnicity or race, or they're all the same, um, you know, social location, uh, like they're all suburban white people or something like that. Um, there, there's, you know, Paul would look at a situation like that and would say, there's nothing inherently glorifying to God hmm. when that group of people gets together. Um, and so, like lying underneath the, the, the current issues that we have is like this fundamental issue, like going all the way back in American history where, um, uh, you know, white people, white Christians uh, subjugated and enslaved black people. And um, over time, over the decades, um, black people who were enslaved on American soil became Christian, many of them. And there were divided communities. Actually, churches were united. It's just that black people had to sit, you know, in um, in the back or in um, what's the that? Balcony. What's that thing? Balconies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's not clicking. <laughs> um, so there was division already there, and so, but now, like you're saying, we have this current situation where you've got uh, people that have so much in common, everything in common, mm-hmm. but are sort of searching for something to fight about. Yeah. And um, I think Wayner's article was put, put his finger right on it um, by talking about grievances and cultural resentments, because mm-hmm. those are the things that have sort of in, infected and invaded churches. So there's this kind of style of behaving in public in America that's become quite popular over the last several decades. And that is to sort of almost thump your chest and to set yourself apart based on what you're angry about and based on like who you resent or based on who you blame or whatever. And um, that's the dynamic. I think that's really um, divisive and troubling churches, but that situation, the situation I'm just trying to get at how that situation is almost like so far down the road. It's not like we have to get that situation sorted out. Right. It's like, it's built on top of so much misunderstanding of what it means to be Christian. So like, I mean, to be Christian is to fundamentally regard your own desires and needs and um, preferences as less important than, um, than those of others. So when we gather as Christian, um, my, my propensity to vote for this or that political party should be like no part of my personal identity. Hmm. Um, my propensity to wear a mask or not should be so just not a part of my political my my uh my identity my identity is christian and whatever it takes whatever it takes for us to actually uh inhabit christ together and to sort of share together joyfully whatever it takes for that to happen i will do mm-hmm. I, will, I will sort of set aside my own personal interests it's, i mean i guess i would think about it in these terms um the unity of the church is so important that um First Corinthians three sixteen and seventeen, uh, Paul says that the gathered church is the temple, the dwelling place of God by Spirit. And if anyone destroys the unity of the temple, God will destroy that person. So, if you think in terms of um, if my preferences or proclivities or earthly loyalties or whatever drive a wedge between me and anybody in this community, 
or, or make me an agent of division at all in this community, I'm putting myself in God's crosshairs. Like there's something that God will judge on the day of Christ. And that is agents of division within his church. Mm-hmm. And if you read, take first Corinthians 11, seriously, <laughs> um, that is, yes. that's the reason why uh, people in Corinth are getting sick and dying. Right. So it's like, so I think about it this way, um, agents of division in churches put themselves in danger of being killed by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the so teaching like, of the right, New Testament. That's, that's <clears throat> insane. That's, that's really troubling, you know. But how do you balance that then with calling out Christian nationalism or um, the fact that there are, there are large segments of evangelicalism that refuse to either have a conversation about um, or if they have a conversation about it, it's you know purely defensive about race. Um, it, how does unity operate in those situations? Yeah, I think we have to be, um, well, I'm talking as somebody who just shows up to church. I'm not a, I'm not a pastor or church leader or anything like that. Um, I think there's a sense in which we have to be delicate. We have to be careful. Um, one of the difficulties is once you start seeing the problems that uh, affect our churches, one of the temptations is to sort of solve those problems mm-hmm. uh, by re- re- uh, resorting to strength or denunciation or um, you know, verbal violence or, or uh, push people too hard. Um, but we always have to um, proceed with caution, proceed slowly, carefully, love mm-hmm. people, stay in a posture of invitation and, and good conversation. Um, but if I were a pastor, I think I would want to uh, talk at length about uh, loyalty to Jesus, loyalty to the Lord Jesus, what that looks like in practice, how that's embodied by participating in community life, mm-hmm. and then talk um, about the loyalties in the world that compete with that and what that looks like. So, um, and the agents um, of that loyalty competition. So, you know, talking about uh, Fox News or talking about, um, you know, uh, voices on the left and the right that try to divide us and to see the other as dangerous or deficient or deluded and um, do a lot of reflection on how that works on us and, and how we're sort of driven to take pride in a, in any kind of other identity other than our identity in Christ. Um, yeah, I think I'd want to talk at length about those kind of dynamics and, and then raise the particular issues and then talk about anger and resentment and um, um, suspicions of, of people who are other than what we are mm-hmm. and uh, get at all of these kinds of things, because those are the things that will keep us from being faithfully Christian um, yeah, and I'd want to get at how, just thinking about this this morning, when Paul goes through his vice lists, like in, say, Galatians 5, mm-hmm. I mean, he sets, thing, the works of the flesh are like outbursts of anger. Um, and that, it's like, you should look at the vice list. It's, it's really funny, actually, where he's got, um, you know, jealousies, outbursts of anger, malice factions or, orgies right. uh witchcraft and you're like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute 
there's like a, a gradation here, you know, of like things that are heinous evils. But it's like, no, for Paul, I mean, all of these are outrages. Right. And um, I would love to see our churches recover um, or, or actually discover how it is that that um, jealousies and kind of factionalism and competing groups that these are uh, when Paul looks at community life, he sees this as evidence that the present evil age is at work, that yeah. you know, satanic powers are at work among us. If we have outbursts of anger or grievances or resentments, Those, yeah. that, that stuff is really troubling. It's, it's, I'm, I'm looking at it. It's sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery. So let's, those are some, those are some big words. Yeah. Then it's idolatry and witchcraft. That's, that's big. Yeah. And, and then hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Yeah. Yeah. Think about factions. Yeah. Think about, um, you know, selfish ambition is not merely, uh, I want to be the one up front. Selfish ambition is I want my party to be the dominant one or like my, right. my sub click, my subgroup in this church. I want us to be the dominant one or those of us who are more conservative. I want us to be seen as the smarter ones or the, or that are more liberal or whatever it is. So selfish ambition is like loyalty to a, a subgroup within the church and agitating for ascendancy. Mm. And that's what we see in our, in, in our churches. So totally. I think it, it'd be worth it to to recognize that like the work of hostile cosmic powers is being done and, and our churches um, are falling prey. That's really troubling. Yeah. I think it'd be great to recover the, the beauty and the wonder of repentance and confession of sin and um, come to see these as massively problematic. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's just so much anger simmering in our culture and when that kind of stuff gets into the church, and it's been there a long time, mm -hmm. yeah, this is, that's not new. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, going back to um, well, the first century, because <laughs> this, this is how humans will, this is how we'll do things. You know, we've got this wonderful thing called being the church, and our tendency is, you know, how do we turn this into something that's good for me and my group? Mm. Boy, that is that is so true. You know. So part of what I hear you saying is, and there are a couple of really big points in here. One is these are symptoms, not roots. And so the root issues trace all the way back to misunderstanding what it is to be a be Christian. And um, and then it's still even in the midst of discussions that can be hard or polarizing, we're still invited to be cruciform in the way we posture ourselves in those yeah right that we're we're leading with invitation we're not coercive we're not angry um those sorts of things yeah i think it's actually uh, fundamentally important to understand that that uh being christian in a in a church community is a political reality so mm. it's not necessarily that what's wrong is when the gospel gets politicized or or whatever um but when the when the gospel which is a political reality um, gets hijacked by alternative political allegiances, mm -hmm. you know? So like the church is a political entity. It's the body politic of Christ gathered together to do the political behaviors of loving one another, serving, strategizing for hospitality, meeting each other's needs, um, doing lots of listening, celebrating, lamenting, all of that. Um, and 
the political behaviors are are the kinds of things that have to be cultivated to maintain unity because that's the ultimate value. Mm-hmm. So what speech patterns do we need to develop? What um, you know, eating habits do we need to develop and do we need to eat together more often and share life together more often, more regularly and routinely? And to see alternative political behaviors as um, speech patterns that are abusive and divisive or mm-hmm. when uh, when anger settles into my heart or our hearts and becomes resentment at that other group of people. And I, I learn, I develop speech patterns of sarcasm or denunciation or dismissiveness. Those are political behaviors that are antichrist. Right. So if I'm, you know, reading sources that are talking about economic theory or, um, you know, political policy or whatever that make me regard other people in my church with suspicion or with dismissiveness, like I am now a political actor um, that is disloyal. That's, that's, that's being traitorous. I'm being treasonous in the political reality of the body politic of Jesus. So, I mean, I would, I'd love to, I'd love to see pastors talk more about um, the demonic character of anger. Um, I mean, when there's anger that settles into church bodies, Paul says in Ephesians 4, that's how Satan establishes a beachhead to attack the church through yeah. anger. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. And and James talks about that in terms of um, demonic wisdom. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we have to go after that. So so uh, on, on a street level, in Stafford, I know this is something that we wrestle with, so chime in here. So when we see other Christians... <clears throat> beholden to a political identity um, in ways that provoke violence and outrage and grievance. And, you know, we we go back to what it is to be Christian and, you know, whatever else. And there's just no progress at all in those conversations, except, you know, there's more anger and more, you know, sometimes just people will leave uh, without, you know, any regard for whatever. Um, when does unity confront directly some of the the anger stuff? And I know I know you're saying I know you're not saying that it doesn't ever, but but there's such a I just see unity either being used as a call to not talk about disagreement at all, or it's so uh, poorly valued that there is just I, my my role as a Christian is to fight for whatever my my tribal identity, you know, is telling me is biblical and that's my job to judge everybody else. So on both sides, there are errors. And so on the, on the side that says, well, you know, unity means we never confront stuff. How do you, how do you see that playing out in some of the specific circumstances? So if you have people that are engaging in old creation dynamics and bringing those into the church community and you've tried everything else, you know, the gentle um, rebuke, the, 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 I'm teaching on the bigger issues and they're just not moving, baby, because they are convinced, you know, that this is the biblical American sort of way. When does unity, what does unity require then? Yeah, that's, those are, I'm just trying to think about my church. Uh, like, what, how, how would I respond to something like that at my church? Cause I, I do, I do know a lot of Christians that are not part of my church. In a lot of ways, I just I let so many things go because they're not part of my church body. 
and I'm overwhelmed by all that. Like, I just don't know. But um, if it were someone at my church, I think I'd want to sit down. Uh, first of all, my basic strategy is to um, do a lot of listening, uh, ask good questions, um, communicate how I understand what it means to be Christian, um, talk about how I, how I see the issue, whatever it is that we're talking about. Um, I also recognize that a lot of these um, issues and conversations are long-term. So like, like for example, our currently divided um, national and church scene with regard to race. Uh, we got here over 402 years. So this is not going to be something that we like by next week, I want this to be sorted out. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And um, so I do a lot of listening, asking good questions. Um, I think, um, but yeah, where there's belligerence and uh, also in having those kind of conversations, I, I want to be watchful of myself. I am not, um, I want to be very careful of the attitudes that develop in me. <clears throat> I want to be very careful. Um, this is sort of a tendency to not speak sarcastically, to not speak uh, in ways that will put off or that will shut down further conversation. I don't want to speak in uh, ways that are denunciatory or dismissive. And I don't want to develop ways of thinking about other people that are characteristic of, um, of those kind of really degrading kinds of attitudes. Um, but honestly, if, if I were in a church situation where there was a belligerence and um, sort of a calcification of a posture, I think I would want to address it as being as serious as it is. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like those kinds of attitudes, that kind of way of participating in community life, uh, according to scripture, is is a way that is ruled out and puts you and us in danger of judgment. Hmm. Um, I think I'd also want to talk about how it is that um, any of our any of our ideas and attitudes that come from the world, like from out there, mm -hmm. like um, say ways of thinking that I have about um, universal health care or or not or whatever, whatever my right. thinking is on that out there. Um, what I need to, what I would, what I want to understand about that for myself is that that is, I might have an opinion about that, but I have to learn to value that, uh, so little with reference to the ultimate value of holding together the unity of the church and playing my role in that. And, um, yeah, if I saw, if I knew, if I had a friend or, um, a conversation partner that had such strong opinions about public policy that they were being a destructive effect in community life. That's, that's fatal. And I, I'd want to address it that way. And, and those are complicated conversations, but mm -hmm. um, I just would want to say, these are ways of talking about these other people at our church that are just ruled out. Mm -hmm. Can't have it. Mm -hmm. Thankfully the church that I'm in is in such sad shape that it's, these are not really, <laughs> issues. I'm grateful for that. I, I, I really think, um, I think one of the challenges here is, uh, I, I think it'd be good for pastors to, to, to play this kind of thought experiment. Um, why would I not confront somebody who's being a divisive agent? Hmm. And then, and, and, and be honest 
and and sort of sit back and think about that. Um, I think it's probably because one of the main values that we have in modern church life is to not let, to not drive away any giving units. Hmm. You know what I mean? This Hmm. is how the church, this is how I make my salary. I don't want to make anybody angry so that they'll leave. Hmm. And so, so to me, I I would do the work at that level. Yeah. Uh, What's going on there? Um, How do I need to maybe orient my ministry um, to free myself up so that I could actually be, uh, pastoring this church faithfully. Hmm. Yeah, Stafford, you've got. I know this is a this is a big pressing issue for you. What are you What, what are you sitting here thinking? I have no anger in me at all. But that, sarcasm. That is sarcasm. See, I'm already <laughs> off to the wrong on the wrong foot. the The section that I highlighted from the article um, that I thought was poignant to the whole thing that provoked questions in me was what we're seeing is a massive discipleship failure caused by a massive catechesis failure. And this is someone else speaking, James Ernest, uh, the evangelical church. <laughs> my wife's in the how US, you works with my wife. Oh, really? Bam. Yeah, whatever. Sorry. The evangelical church in the U S over the last five decades has failed to form its adherence into disciples. So there's a great hollowness. All that was needed to cause the implosion that we have seen was a sufficiently provocative, provocative stimulus, and that stimulus came. So I hear what you're saying with like the it took us four, like on race it took us 400 years to get here. It takes four or it takes who knows how long to come out of that. And they, and you think about he also mentions like the the how does he say it like the indoctrination that happened like you know you get a sermon for an hour a week, you get talk news every single day nonstop. So it's, it's just basic logic to look at the scales of how, what's going to influence you more than the other thing. So what is like the, how is it just like, is it just, cause there is teaching or there are things that happen in the church that are causing immediate pain and, and immediate like harm to people. And if we play the long game on it, there will be a lot of casualties along the way. Like, what do we, is it, a, is it just, can you give an example? Just, uh, I'm trying not to. Oh, okay. But I think even on issues like race and um, just socioeconomics or anything like that, if the church, if there's a teaching or the bot, I mean, cause we're seeing now, like I, before we started recording, I was saying to Mike, like anytime we talk about problems with the church, we'll get pushback. They're like, oh, you're you're looking at the big churches, but most churches are okay. And in my town, there it's a small town, and and most of the churches have been, like, have had pretty hard splits this year, or oh. in the last couple of years. So it's like, it no, it is it is affecting. For me, it's affecting most of the churches, and it's coming down to like this emboldened population that just says we want it done this way, do it this way, or or else. And so the the twenty nine percent or whatever the article said, you know, twenty nine percent of pastors have either quit or are thinking about quitting over the last couple of years. That's a huge. I mean, that's almost a third. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what do you? Is it a matter? Because I hear the you're saying some of the similar things, like the it's a, a a lack of discipleship. It's like a lack of imagination, right? We have not been forming people in the ways of what it means to be Christian for so long that we've landed here. Mm-hmm. But we are here, so if is it just a matter of course correction, 
or how do we the unity thing is i think just an interesting question because i don't know how to coexist currently with brothers and sisters i feel like i feel angry and like a little bit off center like for example we watched my wife is (laughs) if you're in education you're dealing with crazy school boards right now Mm. parents who are saying you can't we're backsliding on things that can be spoken about in schools and i can't imagine what that's like for people of color and i can't imagine what that's like for a myriad of different things um but the buzzwords that they're not allowed to say in the classroom right now are pretty incendiary or they're not they're very like it's like racism or Mm. you know just words that are part of culture and part of our nomenclature but she was going to teach the crucible so we watched the movie the daniel day lewis winona Ryder movie last week and i had not read the crucible or watched anything in is it 25 years or something so as a teenager approaching uh whatever however the teacher presented it um you know it, it, when you're a teenager it's mostly like this is about witches and how crazy is that um now it's like you're carrying 25 years of life and wisdom with you and you're like that movie messed me up and i was like kind of spinning for a few days but cuz the elements of the witch hunt and the church and the selfish ambitions and all that kind of stuff is so prevalent now Hmm. it's like man that story like hits way too close to home and i don't know how to exist within that mess Hmm. because i either have to like my tendency is like i just want to go and i i will walk to the door open the door and say hey this is wrong and and pick a fight and i know that's not the right way to operate all the time but i don't know what else to do I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm at a loss with like, the article was great. Cause I like, yeah, he totally, this is all correct. Hmm. And then what? Like if you guys open up the Bible right now, let's say you could wipe the board clean, the church board clean. And you look at just scripture, just Jesus teaching what Paul's saying about the church or whatever. How would you build the church now? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Tim, because there's, um, like if you actually um, take just the scriptures, I mean, think. I guess I would say it this way: um, we wouldn't know much about Paul if there were no problem churches. Right. I like we about we, we would. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. if this were not an abiding problem, we would have one letter from Paul. Yeah. He's like, great job, guys. Yeah, or three. But it's like there's there's just nothing but this. And um, to me, I mean, I'm talking mostly from my little little church community that I'm part of. It's a, it's a really broken, beat up people, which is, which is just the perfect situation for rich fellowship. But um, I don't know, to my mind, it takes a lot of creativity. If I were in, in, in leadership or responsible care or a pastor, um, it, it really is the case that um, like what you said, Tim, is, is so true. It's like the crisis moment, is only the revelation of the fact that we were not prepared for this crisis moment. So, so it's like we have to prepare ourselves constantly in, in sort of peacetime, so that when the, when the bomb drops, we respond from our training, and we are responding from our training, right? Um, and our lack of it. But even now, it's it's never, it's never hopeless as long as God's resurrection power is at work. And what I would want to do is think from, what unleashes resurrection power? It is always the cross. It's always taken a cross-shaped posture. So if I were a pastor, 
I think I'd want to just take this on myself and, and not talk about not, I would not talk in terms of you. Um, I would talk in terms of we, cause it's a church, right. it's a body of Christ problems. So I would never set myself over against other people. And I think I would just um, pull the fire alarm and just say, we have a problem. We are in the crosshairs of God's judgment because we're, we're divided people. I think I would prepare for a Sunday morning, get up, everything's business as usual, and just say, uh, we're not doing business as usual here because this is this business as usual so that you will all give your money is putting us in danger of judgment. Uh, something's got to change here with us. We have to change. And I would stay in that posture of invitation, but I would stay in it um, with strength, not, not power, you know, human power coming against other people, but with courage that if I um, maintain that place on my cross and maintain that posture of invitation and do it with nerve, confident that God will bless it, um, I think that only good things can come from that. I think I, I would want to call out the sources of division, call out the dynamics in the church body that are destructive and that are, um, that are antichrist. And um, I think I'd want to make provision for the future for myself personally, knowing that this could, this, this could be it. Right. I could have a bunch of people just say, all right, you're done. Uh, thank you. We want business as usual. We want to be entertained for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, get back to our lives of, of anger and bitterness. I think I would just have to be prepared for it. Um, I think I want to shape my own imagination to, to be ready for the church to get small for a bunch of people that are going to leave it. I would want to have for myself a vision of what faithfulness to Jesus looks like and be ready to um, absorb the cost that uh, that may bring, you know, mm. by being seen as a turncoat to my own people, you know, yeah. traitorous or whatever, or being soft. Um, but yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that um, it's not like cruciformity is, is being passive and being a doormat. Um, you could be cruciform and alarmist and just say, look, we're, we all got off our crosses because we're trying to put each other on crosses. Mm. And, and that's, that's not how this works. Right. You know, I, I, I think it just takes somebody to call it out and talk about this is unacceptable. And um, I think it would also, it's, it's also a great idea for churches to be in crisis for a while. Like uh, no more sermons for, for two months. And um, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, we're going to get together and discuss um, the centrality of how we stay together as a put together by God community. And what are the sources of, of that being pulled apart? And how can we do this? And what are, what are, what are the loyalties clawing at our hearts? Hmm. And what's driving us to be at each other's throats? Like, this is not, this is not acceptable. We can't, we can't go on. I mean, th this is actually what Paul says in First Corinthians 11. It would be better if you stopped gathering as church. Like, just right. don't do it because God is killing you for, for your divisions <laughs> between rich and poor and the fact that you are shutting out the poor. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, there's any, any, any reason to just not pull the alarm hmm. and just say, we, we got to, things have to change as, as of this morning. Yeah. You mentioned, um, the powers and principalities that are kind of unleashed um, through our anger, and <clears throat> we we got a a question from somebody who who doesn't understand that language. 
Um, so I want to read the question, but it it's obviously incredibly relevant to what we're talking about. But this person says, I've been struggling with Ephesians 6.12, and I've heard it referenced in sermons, and I've heard Mike use it. I have a hard time with this verse. I don't think powers and principalities are defined anywhere else in Paul's texts. I feel like this, the verse, can be misapplied. Whatever we feel can be powers and principalities. <laughs> I think Tim Gombas has works on Ephesians that I will be reading. Bam. There you looking, go. Looking to see if anyone could share what powers and principalities means and how it should be applied. So let's take this, <clears throat> let's take this operative case of anger within the church. How should we understand, because there are people that are seeing demons, you know, freaking everywhere. Every, every problem is a deliverance problem, right? So if we just prayed the right prayer, confront the right demon, or, you know, know the demon's name or whatever, we can take care of all this stuff. Um, is that what Paul means when he says powers and principalities? Yeah, great question. No, it's not. So in... <laughs> In, uh, it's really helpful to look around in uh, the literature around Paul's time, the way that uh, Jews would have talked about spiritual entities. And it seems like from, a, from the New Testament, the New Testament vision of things as far as like powers of darkness maps really well onto loads of the Jewish texts that we find from the first century. So there are these demonic entities, but your demons or unclean spirits affect individuals in the New Testament. The, uh, the powers and authorities or the rulers of this present darkness, um, the uh, principalities, they go by a variety of terms in, in the New Testament, and they're, they're everywhere in Paul. Um, those are these kind of like uh, large macro entities that, um, that affect cultures. They don't work on individuals. They kind of orient cultures so that cultures are um, kind of set against each other. What's interesting in the Jewish text is that um, they they sort of uh, inject into human cultures destructive ways of life that that will lead to ultimate destruction. So so their aim is to basically corrupt human cultures and mindsets and ideologies and uh, those kind of things, so that human cultures will walk in sinful behaviors and bring themselves to destruction. So like uh, like a. An example would be white people are superior. That's yes. A, that's an idea. It's an idea that has like 18,000 kind of like sub, uh, it affects us in our prejudices and, and, and what we think are you know good spaces and bad spaces, good schools, bad schools, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, like this ethnicity is better than that ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That is uh, That shows up in loads of Jewish texts where one of the things that the principalities and powers do is that they they inflame tribalism and nationalism. Hmm. So uh, for a certain tribe to see itself as ascendant over another tribe. So um, I think you can map onto that um, pretty easily our current divisions. My political party is better than your political party. Those kind of um, ideas, mindsets, the passions that are stirred on the basis of those, that's the work of the powers of darkness. Um, also, the range of idolatries are inserted into creation uh, by the powers and authorities. Um, following after, uh, you know, blindly following after sensuality is, is uh, one of the things that they have um, stirred up within culture. Um, hmm. Yeah, those kind of the degraded forms of life that are available and the, and the, de- the, the degraded ways of thinking that make us think about other humans 
as less than human. Mm-hmm. All of those are patterns, they're social patterns, cultural patterns that are inserted into the world by the powers of darkness. Mm-hmm. So they're not, we don't go to battle them individually, but like that person was asking about when in Ephesians 6, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. He's talking to churches you know, as a whole, not individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to sort of grow up into the character of God himself. So put on the character, you know, the virtues of God so that they can stand um, against those kind of cultural patterns. So the church should look out on cultural patterns that are destructive. So divisions over political party loyalty, um, you know, angry denunciation of others, um, you know, ethnocentrism uh, or um, xenophobia, all these kind of cultural patterns that are destroying America right now. Um, the church should look out on those, identify them and discern how the, the church culture is being affected by them and then get rid of those kind of patterns of thought, the behaviors that come from them and put on the character of Christ, put on the character of God. That's the church's spiritual warfare. Mm. So it relates directly to this larger issue of cultural resentments um, because what Peter Weiner is pointing out is that there are so many um ways of life that evangelicals have taken on that are well cultivated that have actually made us susceptible mm-hmm. to the corruptions sown into the world by the powers and authorities like we've adopted those ways of life mm-hmm. so you know we are split into black churches white churches hispanic churches asian churches um we've already been divided in my own cultural heritage of you know white evangelicalism i mean you go back to um the cultural resentments that are laced within like Billy Sunday's preaching. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was like, he was, his preaching was pure grievance. Mm. And there are loads of preachers like that, where you pick up that note of grievance. Like I'm thinking about somebody as particular as like John MacArthur mm-hmm. um, there, you, you get that attitude and that sort of grievance um, where, you know, liberals or progressives or whatever are wrong and they get denounced and that kind of thing. It's like, Evangelical culture, by and large, like since the 20s or the 10s, has been shaped by this kind of voice of grievance or resentment, mm-hmm. um, a demonization of those people out there and why you should just trust me or just trust this community and not listen to other people. Um, so when someone like the previous president comes along, um, evangelical culture was already prepared for about a hundred years to hear that voice of grievance and anger and resentment Mm. and just say, yeah, that's our guy. (laughs) So, but that kind of grievance and anger, uh, especially anger. um, This is why Paul in Ephesians, which is the powers and authorities play such a big role in his uh, portrayal of things. This is why he says there in Ephesians four, take care of anger in, in your anger, do not sin. Um, and what I mean is do not give the devil a beachhead hmm. because that's how, um, that's how the powers of darkness invade the church when there's hmm. that kind of cultural grievance. It's hmm. really bad. Hmm. It's interesting too, uh, in the, when you read the pastorals, uh, the kinds of people that Paul tells Timothy and Titus to look out for are people who are angry hmm. and who want to uh, find obscure passages of scripture to argue about. You know, and it's like, I mean, in my heritage, we found people who wanted to argue about obscure passages of scripture and said, let's send him to seminary. He'll be a great pastor someday. So it's like, because, because my heritage was show was so shaped by anger. Yeah. 
there's something highly problematic about that, but it goes back decades, but it can stop. And we could see how it is that anger and resentment and um, suspicion of, of people who are different than us, that those are all ways that the powers and authorities get their hooks in us. I just, I have such a hard time though, taught, like judging the judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, with someone like MacArthur or Driscoll, like I'm, or Piper, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm personally yeah, so opposed. Yeah. You hear it in his voice too. <clears throat> I'm pers- but, but then how do I have grievance with them without being a person of grievance? Yeah. You know, I think it's I- possible. I think it's possible to say <clears throat> I hear you can hear the grievance in their voice, and that's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am a human as well, and I know how hard it is to sort of uh, daily root that stuff out of my heart. Yeah. And, and it affects me too. I'm in it. I'm not the one who has the answer. Um, this is why I try to say as much as possible. I try to use uh, plural first person pronouns when we talk mm-hmm. about all this. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we. If this is a we problem. It's not a you or a them problem. Yeah. It's like this, this affects us all. We're all in it. And we have to cultivate uh, alternative ways of thinking and feeling and being. Like when Paul talked about putting on a heart of compassion, um, to me, I'm, I'm always thinking about, um, and this is why the cultural analysis piece for me is helpful. And I don't just say, yeah, those people are bad. Mm. The cultural analysis part for me is helpful because I can look back on the cultural patterns that have produced this in people. Mm. It, it, it's a way of me standing in solidarity with the people that are in my inherited culture. Like we had this happen to us. This was done to us. This is not something that's wrong with my neighbor, Bill. Um, this is mm-hmm. a this is something that affects all of us, and like we can change it. Mm-hmm. I I vote differently than Bill, um, but my goodness, if Bill ever needed anything, I'd be there for him. I'd choose to talk about anything and everything but him, or, or about those issues. He's not at my church. Um, hmm. You know, knowing that there are ways of talking and speaking and relating that are fruitful and life giving. Um, but I also, I also think that there's something important about regarding with great compassion and solidarity our fellow Christian people. And there's something important about naming explicitly the voices that have set themselves up as authorities and, and are actually weaving and uh, that are actually sort of stirring up this resentment in culture. Hmm. So, um, you know, authority figures who do this, like Franklin Graham or Jerry mm-hmm. Falwell Jr. And, and loads of others that, that are responsible for hijacking uh, hearts and minds. I think that's really, I think it's important to name that. Mm-hmm. Is this Not like, th- I, I'm a very emotional person. If people, if you guys haven't figured that out, and so I'll <laughs> respond emotionally to things. So when you're talking about like, um, the way in which we, we, we react like the, um, the the grievance to the grievance or whatever and i'm just like well i i know that i have to take a breath i have to be i have to think critically about the conversation i'm about to engage in i have to be repentant first and foremost with whatever my posture is going into the conversation like these are the active things that i do to try to like not bring a baseball bat to a baseball bat right like mm-hmm. to totally, try to yeah. enter into that conversation but like so the article is very in a lot of ways, it's a macro view of these issues is the answer. I'm trying to, I'm trying to distill it down for like 
everyone that's listening that's like, well, well geez, what do we do? Like, <laughs> is it is the answer on a micro level? Or, or mm-hmm. is it just like learn to do this in your community? And if all communities do that, then a transformation happens. Like, is that the road that we're on? Yeah, that's that. That's a great question. I don't. Um, I think that this is where I disagree with Wayner. Um, as far as like evangelical churches, blah blah blah. There's no such thing as called the evangelical church. The evangelicalism right. is just this disparate. You know, it's all it is is a marketing demographic. That's all it is. And yes, I don't. I I think that the only place we can take action is in our community. So all I, whenever I think about being Christian, I think about my church. Yeah, that's it. I don't know what will bring about a cultural transformation. I don't expect it at all, yeah. at all. I just I limit my expectations, mm. curb your enthusiasm. I just think <laughs> all I can do is think about, you know, Andy and Natalie. I'm just going through them, you know, Margaret, all the people at my church that I relate to and thinking about how do I participate well in the body that I'm attached to. I'm not responsible for the American church. I mean, who's responsible for that? There's right. There, there isn't any sort of entity. Well, it's like I think we feel responsibility for it. There's an existential dread that comes when you look at the landscape, and and yeah. possibly that's just being discipled by the news as well. Not in yeah. a way that it indoctrinates your thinking, but it um, hmm. it indoctrinates your emotions. Maybe is a way to say that. Like it affects you, it affects you. Yeah, and, I think and that's part of that the, dread. I think that that's uh, intentional. And I also think it's a distraction because like you can do nothing about it. Right. Um, Yeah. Yep. I mean, even if you like, it stirs up all the negativity. Yeah. There's no outlet and hopelessness and frustration. And it's like, well, uh, like we do have a voice, you know, via this podcast to sort of make change. I, I'm not so sure about that. I think it's like, all right, we can, you can help people have hope as they take action in their community um, by adopting postures of love yeah. and patience and listening and um, compassion and solidarity. And that's where the action takes place in our local communities and, and expect nothing more. I mean, this whole larger culture is, is what you know, Paul calls the world. And it's, you know, don't have any expectations of it. But mm-hmm. my micro community that I belong to is a little outbreak of heaven. And I'm going to in- do what it takes to enjoy resurrection life with that community. Uh, You can't be responsible for anything else and you can't affect anything else. This is the lie I think of evangelicalism is that um, back in the, in the teen 19 teens and twenties when uh, denominational leaders that had ecclesial structures, they, they sort of left those behind and started forming these networks in order to kind of be invited to each other's conferences and, expand their platform and become prominent and and bring in money and all that kind of stuff. Um, They imagined that they could actually form these trans-denominational relationships and have an effect on American culture. And what happened over the decades is that they became American culture. culture. (laughs) And all the celebritization that it brings and all the money and power that it brings. So it's become this thoroughly worldly reality. Um, And yeah, I think that that mindset we have to give up on it we can affect change how yeah. I and mean, this is james davison hunter's book to change the world you know you can change hearts and minds or you bring a bunch of individual hearts and minds that are changed will add up to a transformed culture that is a lie doesn't happen 
you have to give it up. I think you'll wear yourself out. Um, oh, I, told, I think, it's a I think pastors and ministers kind of thing. You're spinning and spinning and spinning yeah. and spinning, and you're not affecting. You're just. You, it's like you're just spinning on the energy of the negativity, and you never. You don't stop because that that fuel is endless. Yeah, and also, what if you what if you even turned towards something positive? And you became one of these kind of traveling speakers that just went exactly. around and, yeah. and just sort of cast this positive vision. All you're doing is hopping from city to city, from church to church, whereas the work is pastoral and it, it's hard, gritty pastoral work to hold together and foster communities over decades. Yeah. Like this, this is going to be something that for our church to experience transformation, let's map this out over 65 years. Right. What does that look like? And um, how do we want to, I, I couldn't believe this. This was like a, a 30 year old said this to me. We were talking about all of these things. And, and he said, something tells me that what my job is to do is to prepare my son to be a participant in this work yeah. because, because he said, I'm, I'm really hopeless for my generation. Mm. And I was like, what if you had a bunch of families in a church that said, we want to see our, our church be, uh, an agent of transformation and to be a site of transformation, what would we, if we wanted to see that fully flourish in 15 to 25 years, what would we do now to prepare children to enter into that? Knowing that we might not be the ones that go into that, you know, what, what, what would that look like? Mm. I mean, man, you'd probably learn the practices, the slow long-term practices of lament and celebration and uh, self-giving love and, and all that goes along with that you know, in your, in home life and in, um, do it as community and, you know, hopefully it takes place. I don't Man, know. That's, we don't have time for that, but there, that's a conversation that I'd love to have with you guys too, is I, a few people have asked me that in particular about like how, what does church look like for children? Cause the model that we grew up with mm-hmm. for me was an absolute waste of time yeah, and I remember nothing from it. Yeah. And I, and, <laughs> but in, in respecting the like intellectual fortitude of, of children, the emotional fortitude of children and how do you, how do you effectively do exactly what you're just saying? Like, I think that's a really interesting conversation that very few people know the answers to. It'd be fun to dig, to try to figure out like, what is the best way to do exactly that, to set children up for. A, a rich, real, authentic uh, journey. Like, what does that look? I think that's a really interesting that we could learn a ton from. Oh in yeah, our own day to day. You know. Yeah. What if you? Yeah. I mean, relating back to this topic, what if you thought uh, we have a problem with confessing sinful attitudes? We have a problem with forgiving each other uh, across lines of of cultural difference. We have problems of like uh, frank speech. That's also a gracious speech. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, what if we want in 15 years, we want our kids to know how to confess sin? We want oh, our kids man, to know how chills. to forgive. We just had this conversation last night because one of our friends had a Catholic up- upbringing, and we were we were digging through. Not it was part of a larger conversation, but there's so much that comes with a Catholic uh, mm-hmm. background, a lot of baggage that comes with it that you have mm-hmm. to kind of sort through. But there are also these things of what is. What does true confession look like and and why? So we were trying, we have said that's not part of our culture or our mm-hmm. evangelical culture. It's not a really key feature. So we were trying to entertain the entertain it between adults and then bring it up with the kids in the morning. And it was just awkward. 
and it was a fumbling conversation, but Oh, totally. It's it's a fascinating one. Learning the practices of confession of sin in relationship is brutal, Yeah, but it's, it's, there's nothing more awkward and nothing more unnatural. Unless, unless Um, you're on a walk. Oh yeah. (laughs) But if you, if you had that cultivated, yeah. Um, it, it does become natural over time. And then if you have a situation in which people are verbally abusing each other um, to reverse that or to stop it or to, you know, yeah. to get on a different course involves confession of sin. And if it's, the, if it's a natural thing, um, you've, you've got it. And, and, and what, does, what do the practices of forgiveness look like? Like those have to be cultivated over time. They're hard. Yeah. Um, and then once you've agreed to forgive somebody, how do you inhabit together <clears throat> the space of forgiveness? Because forgiveness is like, it's a it's a brutal discipline that that has to be sort of maintained because our our hearts and minds go back to sort of this is great though because it's exactly what we've been talking about with um, how the church has gotten to where it's gotten like how it's been discipled yeah. by whatever and you know it, it's you know like you said four hundred years of discipleship that have created the muscles that we now operate with so what does it look like to start cultivating the correct muscles to work out in the right yeah. way to create a, a body of people that exist in that way they can be surprisingly simple yeah they don't they don't have to be like i think we imagine well we got to have fireworks we've got to have you know all this high-powered stuff in order to transform culture but it's like what if we just simplified things it became people that know how to speak life-giving words like and we did that a lot when, yeah. when our kids were young what do life-giving words sound like uh, we used to memorize those <laughs> proverbs about, you know, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a you know, quiet answer, you know, it's like, we just talk about this stuff all the time. What does a harsh word sound like? Uh, what, what does my heart feel like when someone speaks to me a harsh word? How do I right. correct that situation? These are all simple practices that we just are, that um, we haven't cultivated. And I think that that's kind of the way forward. How do, how do we talk to each other? What, yeah. What's, how do we see one another as reservoirs of infinite worth like what's preventing me from seeing someone who differs um with regard to a policy issues why do i see them as this monster you know what 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 are the um what are the sources of information that i'm listening to that force me to see my brother in christ this way yeah it's good well listen man thank you You're, yeah thank you Thomas, man you are the best so fun to kick it around Absolutely, and if if you're interested in more kicking, um, you can listen to uh, Tim Gombas and Tim Stafford on our Wanderer kind of uh, midweek episodes. Or um, Mr. Gombas is going through the Book of Romans on his podcast, and it's really good stuff. And so I would highly recommend you subscribe to Faith Improvised and uh and give that a listen that there's not only there's not only good stuff in terms of um romans but there are book recommendations and then there's a theology of uh, naming cats and uh of of walking um and and its relationship to quipping that is it's full total life it's total life (laughs) their comments in the weather normally so it's a full kind of a full human range everything this is what you get with an enneagram four everything's up for grabs talk about it all all right so anyway friends thank you for tuning in we appreciate you talk to you later thank you thank you thank you for listening to this conversation 
Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us